Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Luke, please. Luke chapter 1. Maybe you have a tablet or a smartphone. You've got a, you know electronic version. That's fantastic. But there's a book rack Bible right in front of you. You'll find that on page 1588 in your book rack Bible. Maybe you grabbed an outline on the way in, or you can download it right now off of our app, uh, the Three Crosses app. It's a way for you to track along with what's going to be talked about this morning as we enter into when chaos increases. I mean, how many of you have found that following Christ really is a better way to live? Anybody here? Amen. Okay. But how many of you have also found out that following Christ doesn't necessarily make it an easier life to live? Okay. Well, we're all on the same page then this morning. Because knowing Christ is definitely better, but following Christ and knowing Him doesn't necessarily always make life easier. We started this series a couple of weeks ago by looking at God's counter to chaos. It's a chaotic world, and it's always been God's design to bring order into the chaos. Jesus Christ is God's counter to chaos. He is the living Word. He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, John says. And then last week, Pastor Danny brought us into a beautiful picture of the question of where is God in the chaos? We ask ourselves the question when we're in the deepest chaos of our lives, where are you? And looking at the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, where there had been 400 years of silence, no one really hearing from God, and suddenly God showing up. Zechariah had not heard God in so long, he didn't recognize his voice. And we unpack that beautiful story of God bringing a child to a family who was well along in years and the impossibility of all that, that sometimes uh, God does these inexplicable things uh, when we don't expect that He's at work even in the midst of the chaos. Now today we're going to zero in on Mary's story. And uh, Mary's story reminds us that, that when God intervenes in the chaos of our lives, here's the reality, sometimes the chaos increases. I, mean, I don't know how many people I talk to that recently give their lives to Christ or maybe there's been a milestone change in their life or they've decided I'm going to really surrender and give my life or maybe you're like Annie sitting there in a, in a chapel service and hearing an invitation to be a part of something really grand and you think, no way, I've got my own plan, but then suddenly your heart is beating out of your chest and you say yes and as soon as you commit to those things, sometimes life just gets for a little while, a lot more messy, doesn't it? If God's going to clean up a mess, things can get a little more messy for the people involved, anyway, for a little while. And that's what we want to see in Mary's story today. We're going to look at how Mary's attention to this experience that she had will likely teach us some things about when life gets messier, even when God is stepping into the mess. We're going to see this in Luke chapter 1. So follow along. It's a lengthy section of Scripture, but powerful, beautiful, and we want to see all of what it says, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign 
forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in the womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's go to the Lord. Oh Lord, this is a beautiful text. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just fill our hearts now with the truth that is found here. That for those of us who have an experience that we are having trouble interpreting, Lord, may it be seen through the grid of Mary's experience today as we continue in this amazing season that we're in. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will hide me and that the cross and you, Jesus, would be seen and heard throughout this time. And I pray that for anyone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would reveal yourself to them in power and glory. I pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, this is nothing short of flat out amazing. God's restoration and plan at the center of this young teenage girl who is pledged to be married to Joseph. Amazing story. Now, from what we read in this story this morning, I'm going to make some observations that I believe God wants us to remember when we face what looks inexplicable, when we face the situation that we don't know how to interpret. We know that God's working, but everything just seems to have hit the fan, and we don't know what we're going to do. I want us to learn from Mary's experience this morning some things that we can say to ourselves and that we can grind, gr you know, put down deep into our hearts so that in the midst of the chaos, we'll see God do something really beautiful. Five things I want to show you this morning. The first thing I want to show you in verses 26 through 28 is that we need to be ready when God wants to use us for his purposes. We need to be ready. 
That's what I see in Mary's life right here. And that's something I need to tell myself and we need to tell ourselves every day of our lives. Are we ready? Are we ready for the thing that God's going to do in our lives? Even today, are we leaning in and saying, God, what do you want to do in my life? Where do you want me to go in my life? What plans do you have for my life? Like Annie said this morning, we've all got our plans, but God, what is your plan? And are we ready for what God is going to do when he does step in and when he does show us something powerful in our lives? Now, understanding uh, clearly, Mary is a one and only. And God had her in mind when he talked about in the Old Testament the prophecies concerning a virgin being with child and bringing this little child, Emmanuel, God with us into the world, Isaiah 7, 14. But what is sometimes overlooked in this narrative is the unlikely destination and the recipients that are involved in this story. We remember last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story happened in and around Jerusalem, a priestly area where priests ministered in the temple of the Lord. Zechariah's story is a story of sort of like people in the, in the center throes of church life and God's people. When you come to Mary and where she and Joseph were living, it's a whole different place. They're living about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. This is not the hub of Judaism by any means. It's a region infiltrated by many Gentiles. It's a heavily dominated Gentile area. It's purely and, and powerfully uh, uh, secular in its background, uh, both politically and economically. It was a place where there was immorality. It was, it was a place much like where we live here in the Bay Area. Uh, highly secular, highly liberal, and, and a lot of issues going on. And isn't it interesting that Gabriel had just been, not too long before this time, he had been to see Zechariah and had brought the message to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and now God dispatches the angel Gabriel to this northern area, this little enclave, this little town in northern Galilee that has this dubious reputation among the Jews for its immoral and worldly practices. That's why you remember in John chapter 1, just a little side note, you remember that when Philip was introducing the Messiah to Nathanael, Nathaniel says, where is this one from? And he says he is from Nazareth. And remember Nathaniel's response, can anything, what, good come out of Nazareth? You see, that's what's behind this. There's nothing good that's going to come out of Nazareth. This is an unsuspected place and an unsuspected person that God is coming to. And the text tells us, I love this, here in verse four, uh, 28, look at it. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. It doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what you're going through in your life, doesn't matter the crisis you're facing or the issues that are going on. God has a plan that can break through all of that and come right to where we are and meet us every single time. So here the miracle of the incarnation begins in the most unlikely place and with the most unsuspecting person. You remember in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, it reminds us that the people walking in darkness will see a great light and that God would yet honor Galilee of the Gentiles. This is exactly what is happening here in Luke chapter 1. It's no random choice of God to choose Mary to be the mother of his son. And Gabriel makes it clear that she is highly favored and even later in this next section has said to have found favor with God. Now, these statements, as beautiful as they are, I want to stop for just a moment and talk about Mary as a person. 
Um, I grew up, uh, my, my best friend in elementary, junior high, and high school was a Catholic, and so I've shared stories about my friend Ed before. He would come to my little Baptist church, and I would go to his Catholic church at different times, and one of the things I saw, as much as we had lots of similar beliefs all around some of the big things, I was always a little bit confused about the way the Catholics viewed Mary, and maybe some of you have had that experience, and some of you come out of Catholic backgrounds, and I just want to say it's important to recognize something where, where the angel says to Mary that you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. Uh, this is a picture not of Mary's sinlessness. It's simply a picture of God's uh, blessing and grace, which we'll see in just a moment, uh, on Mary's life. Uh, Mariology or the worship of Mary is not a biblical tenet. It's not found anywhere in Scripture, nor is it found in Scripture uh, that Mary is sinless. You know, I, I had heard um, uh, about the Immaculate Conception when I went to uh, the church with my friend growing up, and I always thought that that was speaking of Jesus, you know, of, of Mary's uh, a pregnancy, of the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary. That's what I thought the Immaculate Conception was. It wasn't until later when I studied theology that I discovered that there were people that believed that Mary at conception was sinless, that God kept her from sin. And, I, and I'm just pointing this out to you because it's going to be important as we come later in the message that this is not found in Scripture. And this is where we would depart from sort of what many people in the Catholic faith would believe about Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We don't believe that Mary has graces that she can bestow on people because she is so full of grace. And I don't try to be offensive to anyone here today, but you just won't find one shred of that in Scripture and we study the Bible and we follow the Bible. And so some of us maybe have just a too lofty of a view of who Mary is. However, our Protestant pushback from this picture of Mary as compared to the Catholic religion uh, would sometimes cause us to demean Mary's character in some way. Or that we would just not even think about her as being very special in the heart and the mind of God. And so it's important, I think, it's a beautiful text this morning to kind of maybe for some of us, we need to raise our, our view of who Mary was and is. And for others of us, we need to see her more in a biblical context. I'm just throwing that in for free this morning, okay? <laughs> what I want to show you about this being ready thing is in verse 28 where I discover that God uses those whose lives reflect the fullness of His grace. Uh, this, is, this is what the writer is going after. This is what Luke wants us to see. This is what the Spirit of God wants us to see. And this little phrase there, highly favored, uh, it comes from one Greek word that literally means a recipient of grace. It's only found in one other place. The same combination of words is found in Ephesians chapter 1. If, you, if you're quick and you want to turn there, I'll show it to you. I'll read it for those of you that may be not as familiar where Ephesians is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, where, where it tells us there that God predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Now, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 is telling us that God has freely given of His glorious grace to everyone who belongs to Him, to, the, to those who are in Christ. So if you know Christ this morning, 
you have been, you, you could say of yourself that you are highly favored and that the Lord is with you. That's beautiful. That is not a designation reserved only for Mary. The Holy Spirit is telling all of us this morning, and Gabriel was telling Mary that because she belonged to the Lord, she was highly favored. Every one of us this morning are highly favored. We are bestowed with the grace of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are highly favored. Just do that for fun. Now, some of you are, are just doubting that right now because you saw what, you know, you, you thought about what you did this past week or what you thought this week or whatever. But the reality is the way God sees us is so different than the way we see ourselves. So in a sense, when I talk about being ready, this observation we need to say to ourselves, let's be ready, let's be ready for what God has for us when we come to these inexplicable moments. Listen, what we're saying is the, the people that God's going to use, watch this, is anyone who belongs to him. And so some of us, we just have this view that, you know, if God's going to use somebody, he's going to use you know, Pastor Danny, or he's going to use Pastor Mark, or he's going to use Pastor Larry, he's going to use Elder so-and-so, he's going to use whatever. We have a tendency to think that if God's going to use somebody, he's going to use somebody that's really special in our eyes, we think. But the reality is, from Luke chapter 1, where the angel says, highly favored, the Lord is with you, he could have said that to anybody, because anyone who's a recipient of God's grace belonging to Christ wears this theme. This is beautiful. And by the way, there is something here, however, and I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but there's two different prepositions used where the angel says, if you're there in Luke chapter 1, in verse 28, notice it says, um, wait a minute, I'm going to flip the page. Luke 128 says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, That's the word meta. The, The word with there is meta, which means in proximity to. But later in verse 30, it says, uh, verse 31, it says, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word with is the word that we described a couple of weeks ago when we looked at uh, Jesus being with the Father. That word para, para, it means close in intimacy. It means not just a, a, a static relationship, but something that is very focused and very, uh, very intimate, so there was something about Mary that, that we should recognize here in this text. Yes, she was a recipient of God's grace, like anyone who knows Christ. Are you following? But she was also someone who was very intimately connected to the Lord too. Beautiful thing. And, and I, you know, I've met a lot of Marys around this community of faith right here. A lot of Marys. Uh, and whether you're male or female, but I'm thinking of some females right now. I'm thinking of one young woman I've gotten to know recently who, who literally prays and fasts for a pastor she's never met every single day. She has a portion of her day where she fasts and prays for this pastor because he has cancer and, and he's called out. Uh, he lives on another other part of the planet, but uh, he's meant something to her in the teaching of God's word. And so every, he doesn't know her. He'll never meet her, but she's praying and fasting for him every day. It's amazing to me. I know some, there's a young woman in our ministry, a uh, young family, uh, married, uh, uh, kids, and her husband recently in a terrible accident, 
and uh, talked to her and hearing her heart, she says, of course, pray for my husband, recovery, and recovery's coming along, but she says, above all, pray for salvation, pray that my husband comes to know Christ, this is my biggest burden in my life, that my husband would know Jesus. This is, a, this is a woman who is so connected, so focused on Jesus, humbled to be around people like this. As another young lady who is in our worship team, she sings in our choir, and recently she was diagnosed with a cancerous situation, but I didn't even know about it for months because every time I saw her, big smile on her face like she always has, uh, greets people with love, embraces, involves, shares, works in ministry, gives her life, and yet she's going through tests and procedures, and she's doing all this stuff behind the scenes, and, and yet she's just a worshiper of God. She's a Mary, just like these others that I've mentioned. And, and all, any person who's leaning into life and saying, God, my life is messy. God, I don't understand what's going on. God, there's inexplicable things going on with me. But God, I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm following you, Lord. You are worthy of worship. I love you more than anything in my life. That, that's a Mary. And, and that can be you, gentleman or woman. And it's interesting. You know, we have a lot of I've been a part of ministries for a long time, and usually in churches, women tend to be, I'm just going to be honest with you, usually women tend to be, if you just took all the men and women of the church, you'd say that there are a lot more women who are closer, intimate with God, and just committed to God. I've just, you see that generally, and I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that we're in a church that believes also that men... (laughs) ought to be spiritual leaders in their homes. They ought to be godly husbands and godly men. And so we work hard on that in our men's ministry because, frankly, the tide goes the other way. And I, I don't know why, but I'm just saying, I don't know if it's a gender thing that women just softer heart, more open to God. I don't know. But in many places, it's the women who are really, really focused and, and we just take our hats off to them. Praise God. I'm thankful that we're in a church where there's a lot of men also that love God who are kind of like Mary too, okay? Can I say that? I'm not, trying not to confuse anybody here. I'm just, I'm saying it's beautiful. It's beautiful that we can be we can, whether we're male or female, we can have a heart for God. And, and, and wherever you are today, if you don't have a heart for God, whether you're male or female, learn from Mary. Be ready. God's going to, hey, you're in the game. It's time for you to go. Like the first time if you're an athlete, you're called off the bench and, and you know, you're like, what? I didn't expect to play. <laughs> you see the Raider game a couple weeks ago? Not this last week. Forget about that week. <laughs> But you remember Carr, you know, he, somebody hit his hand and boom, he's out of the game and oh no, and they're, they're showing this guy on the sidelines who's the quarterback coming in. Nobody knows who he is. I didn't recognize the guy. It's, the announcers didn't even know his name. They're like, and he's got the look on his face like, oh no, you know. And he goes in for a series of downs and, you know, he does, you know, okay. No, he was terrible. But anyway... <laughs> But you know, you got to be ready. This is what Mary was ready. Okay, enough there. Let's move to the second thing. <laughs> you got to be ready to be used by God. Number two, an observation. Don't forget to say this to yourself. It's okay to feel unsettled when God reveals his plan. It's okay to feel unsettled when God reveals his plan. Notice that this is sort of like and it's different at the same time from Gabriel's visit to Zechariah a few months before. Uh, Zechariah, remember, was terrified by the angel's presence. Here, Mary is, look at verse 29, she is greatly troubled, literally means agitated, by his words. 
Literally, she is uncomfortable. After the angel's assurance that his visit was because she had found favor with God, he explains that she will be with child and give birth to a son and that she is to give him the name Jesus. And then the, the angel continues, notice that the coming of this one would be God's anointed king. Gabriel's short summary of the nature and destiny of this child is clearly all she needed to understand, are you ready for this? To understand, this is why Mary is agitated. This is why she's confused. This is why she's unsettled. Because as the angel unfolds the reality of who this child is, she knows that she's the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Because, I mean, as inexplicable it would be for an angel to show up, it would not, it, okay, if you could get over the fact this is, a, this is a supernatural being standing before me, but if you were to say to a young lady who's about to be married, here's the big prophecy, you are going to have a child, <laughs> she would say, oh, great, there's nothing unusual about that. Couples get married, they have intimacy, and they have children. So this is not what made Mary unsettled. What made Mary unsettled was she suddenly is realizing that the child she's going to have is linked to her as the virgin of Isaiah 7.14. This will be a sign given to you. The, the king was told that there will be a virgin that will be with child. And she will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Suddenly it becomes clear to Mary that, oh my goodness, I'm that one. 800 years before the prophecies that were made and now she realizes she's the one. Have you ever had those moments where you realize that maybe your life is on a course that was different than what you thought? Uh, Annie's story, she had her life planned. And for almost 10 years, God took her in a completely different direction. And I know from the inside part of that story that it was not easy all the time. Very, very difficult, very challenging. Uh, I remember, and you know, I've never really told this story before because it's kind of personal and private, but I remember after I believed that God called me to ministry, and which is kind of its own little story, uh, you know, no voice, no audible voice, but as clear as I've ever felt or sensed anything before in my life, I was to leave the career path I was on and I was going to just dash all of that and go headlong, full on into Christian ministry. And so I remember, you know, cutting the ties of everything I was doing before and my education and all that and switching gears. And it wasn't long after that, maybe in the next year or so, I remember one night I was down in my bedroom at my home over in Belmont and I was seeking the Lord and I was reading scripture. I don't remember what I was reading, but I remember this. I remember God whispering into my heart, as I thought about being in ministry, that one day God would give me a, a ministry beyond my, uh, my scope of imagination or, or uh, what I viewed ministry to be. I grew up in a little Baptist church, uh, a church of about 200 or so members. We had a big youth group, but it was a small, just a little church on the corner of 28th and Alameda. It's still there. Once in a while, I'd drive by it, and I remember the experiences of those days in my life. And, but I remember... I remember this like yesterday, like today, right now, just saying, God, really? Like, like something, and as the years have gone by, I've seen how God has unfolded that in amazing ways. And I just, but I remember then going, ah, you know, like, 
Like, I, I don't know if I can handle anything beyond what I just visually see right now. It's scary. It ter- I remember I was terrified. I remember in 1992 or so, Pastor Jake Bielig, who had been on staff and the uh, second senior pastor of this ministry, I remember he and I having a conversation one day, and he said, Larry, you know, I don't know, I can't really read God's will ultimately, but, but I, you know, our board and people have been watching your life, and, and I, th- God may have an opening at some point, and I just, for you to be my successor, and, I, and he just kind of laid it out that way, and he said, you know, um, uh, you know, lots of things can change, <laughs> you could be an idiot and blow this whole thing, you know, you could, <laughs> he said, but, but this is the way it feels like it might be going. And I, and I remember like, wow, really? Oh, you know, and then I remember walking out of his office, which is right up here behind this auditorium, and walking down the steps back over to the youth building where I was, where I was working in various areas of our youth ministry and our young families ministry. And I remember just going, ah, I just felt terrified. <laughs> Excited, but terrified. Like, what, what do I, what can I do? And I felt that way really ever since. I, I still am, you know, Honestly, I, I don't feel, I'm always amazed at what God is doing here in this place. And as I look back and I see the things that God has done and to all, to his glory and to his fame and to, and not that we are some giant whatever, but just God has given us significance here and globally around the world. And I'm just one little part. I look around our pastoral team. I look around people that are volunteers, our volunteers, is there any pastor that could be as blessed and happy as me in a church that loves people and loves a community and wants to serve and wants to give everything they can to just reach one person for Jesus? Oh, man. I'm telling you, it, it just blows me away. If you've ever felt unsettled, it's okay. <laughs> That's what I see in Mary's story. And right now today, some of you are unsettled. Unsettled in the direction that you think God's taking your life. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look comfortable. It's not what I planned, Lord. Really? Ah. It's okay. Relax. Which brings us to the third thing. We need to trust God even when things seem impossible. Okay, verse 35 through 38. Uh, I love, I look the punchline, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Oh, I love this. But before she could say that, first she hears about the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the assurance of God's presence through the Holy Spirit. The one thing we need to look at the impossible situations, to trust God for the impossible, is we need to be assured that God is there. He's going to meet us there. He's going to join us there. And I experience this every single week where I'm called into situations that I just don't have any idea what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say. The most recent one, terrifying one, was last Saturday when I got a call from dispatch, mutual aid response, chaplains need to be at the staging area with the Oakland warehouse fire. And I remember, you know, throwing my chaplain jacket on, telling my wife, I'm walking out the door, where are you going? I'm I'm in dispatch. I'll pray for you, quick little moment there, into the car, on the road, going down Highway 880, and I'm just saying, Lord, I know what this is, I know what this is going to be like. I don't know what I can say, I don't know what I can do. Oh, man. But God, you're going to show up. 
You are going to show up. I believe you're going to show up. And that's what the Holy Spirit always does. He says, I'm going before you. I'm going to be there with you. The first family I met walking in the door was, was the, the Joe family. And maybe you've been watching the news. Now as I look at the paper and the pictures of the people, I know the families of these people that died. And there was Era's brother. He was the first person I met. Tears in his eyes. Drove from L.A. that day. Her, her uncle walks over and we start talking. This was the first family I met. I spent probably a half hour just hearing their story. How did you find out? What was going on? What's going on right now in your heart? How long have you been here? What's happening? What's the latest? What have you heard? And the story went on and on and on and on and on and on. And then to another family and to another family and to another family and throughout the whole evening, many, many families, not all of them, but many families, the next day after Sunday services, I was back there, walked into the room, spent time with several families, and then uh, this family, the Joe family, said, would you go with us over to the site? We need a chaplain to go with us. Of course, I'll go with you. As we walked through the doors to head out to where we were going to be transported to the site, there was the coroner had shown up. The coroner talked to the person in charge. Suddenly, we were being ushered into a room, and I knew exactly what that meant. They had found Era's body. And even though they knew she was gone, in the moment that they heard that they had found her, all oh, the tears, the brokenness, but God was there, gathering together and praying, the Holy Spirit there. I don't know what God's calling you into. I don't know what God's calling you to. I don't know what you're going to face this week, but you can be assured of this, no matter how inexplicable it is. Trust God. He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Oh, and I can't tie a bow around that story. It's a mess, and there's more and more problems. And, and I don't know if I'll ever even see this family again, but I know the Spirit of God used those moments with tender prayers and love to make something that He will do something later with. When you see those pictures in the newspaper, you pray for those families. Pray for them. Pray for them. The second thing we need if we're going to trust God for what seems impossible, is we need precedents, examples of what help us visually with what we're needing to trust God to do. Look at verse 36. Even Elizabeth, and her, this is, this is a picture of as shocking as the news I'm giving you, guess what? It's already happened, in a sense. It's already happened. Uh, you know, there's nothing like when you're going through cancer to discover somebody else that's gone through cancer. Or if you're in a family crisis, somebody else in a similar crisis. Nothing like that. And yet here's Mary living 60 miles or 70 miles north of Elizabeth. And the only thing she can think about is, wow, this is going on with my older relative. I like what one commentator said, New Testament scholar R.T. France said, one is old and has no children, one is young and has no husband, and both are pregnant. <laughs> and the world is about to find out. What do we need? We need the assurance of God's presence. We need precedents, examples that visualize what we're going to need to trust God to do. And thirdly, we need a constant reminder of that God can do anything. Look at verse 37. You should underline it in your own Bible if you can. For nothing is impossible with God. Think about that situation in your life right now, whatever it is, how an inexplicable and crazy experience, whatever it is, I want you to say out loud with me, nothing is impossible with God. Say it with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? 
So the Holy Spirit's showing us this morning. Which brings us quickly, I know we're out of time here. Quickly, let me just remind us in verses 39 through 40 that we, something we shouldn't forget is it's okay to find a safe place to process and prepare what God has for us. It says that Mary just up and leaves and goes down to Jerusalem, to the area of Judea, where Elizabeth is. And, and commentators are sort of like, well, you know, why did she do this? And I, I think it's because she was looking for confirmation. She wanted to hear from Elizabeth herself. And, you know, there no text messaging, no Instagram, no Facebook. Praise God, none of that stuff existed back then. <laughs> but in a way, I mean, those are great tools. But the point is, Mary wouldn't have known at all. And so when she finds out from the angel, oh my goodness, she goes down. Some believe that she didn't even tell Joseph nothing. She went on her own to go down to see for herself, to hear for herself Elizabeth's testimony. If there was someone that would understand, it would be Elizabeth. Someone that would understand this crazy story that she's now been thrown into, it would be Elizabeth. And so she does it. You know, we should be practicing this in church. I think church is a great place to practice this. We should be sharing our faith stories and challenges as we face them daily with each other uh, because we need to have confirmation that my crazy story is just like your crazy story. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the reality. And you know, you know what the Bible calls this? Community. So many of us here don't have community. You know, out here in the lobby a couple weeks ago, as a family walks up to me, is Pastor Danny around? No, I couldn't find him. Well, Danny was the youth pastor in their family when their daughter was on fire for God. And here's a mom with tears in her eyes saying, My da our daughter's making terrible decisions. She's drifting from God. She, she just... Blah, 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 blah. And the father's standing there and other, another sibling is standing there and they're just crying. They just don't know what to do. And I, I looked at her and I said, I know how that feels. She looked, gave me a look like, what? I told her a little bit about something in my own family. I said, let's pray. And we just hold on to each other and all of us are sobbing now and all of us are crying. And we finished the prayer. It was a beautiful moment. We all walked away. But I, here's, they walked away a little lighter. You know why? Because Pastor Larry, can, he's got the same story some ways. This is what community is for. Share the story. Know that you're not crazy. Well. <laughs> you know, we're working really hard on building community in our church, and we've got a lot of work to go. But there's some of us out there that don't have any, a shred of community in our lives. And we wonder when we experience the crazy stuff. You know, here's, here's a little point. So many of us never do much for God because the promptings and nudging of His Spirit in our lives isn't affirmed in safe and healthy environments. We are alone, we are isolated, and we, we quench the Spirit of the living God. Okay. And the last thing about this, and boy, i got to figure out how to do this better next service. Because there's so much power in praise. You know, Mary's Magnificat, she just unloads praise. She, she, you know what you need to remember when you're in the inexplicable moment is there's power in praise. She worships God. <laughs> Did she write this on her way to Judea? I don't know. But in this Magnificat, not only does she praise God, you know, Mary cites 11 references to Scripture. This is a woman that knew God's Word. And not only that, 
she shows herself to be a revolutionary because she's actually spouting off stuff about the kingdoms of the world bowing to the king who is coming. She is a revolutionary. She is strong, hard, activist, protagonist because she's linked into the one who has changed her life. You have that change in your life today? We should all. Okay. Let's go to the Lord right now.